When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so our preseason content continues, and this week it's one of our favourite preseason pods in the Unwritten Rules edition. Each year, we invite one influential member of the community on to discuss this with Nick and me, and this year we're very excited to be joined by the Twitter Fred King, a former suspected catfish, and so I met him at the Planet FPL live event and verified he was indeed a real person, and uh, Scandinavian exile Neil Murray to discuss these. Uh, Neil, it's great to have you on. Uh, for those who don't know you from Twitter Sphere, please go ahead and introduce yourself uh, to the good people. Hello. Yes. Excited to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Neil S.W. Murray FPL, probably best known for writing a Twitter thread on Ricardo Pereira, where I declared him the best fantasy option around midway through last season. Since then, I've continued to write many other threads, mainly to keep moving the Pereira one down my Twitter profile (laughs) so I don't have to be associated with it any longer. Yeah, welcome to the pod, Neil. Great to have you on. Uh, big fan of the Freds. I've done my own um, IOZ Perez one <laughs> in the pre-season, so now anyone who has Perez when he inevitably banks in game week one is going to blame me, which is uh, fantastic. <laughs> so uh, special hello to the new listeners. Um, if you don't know anything about us, it's worth checking out our intro to Nick and Tom pod. If you want to learn about who we are and what we did with the pod, um, we've also recently recorded a reactions pod to the price list, as well as Tom doing an intro to the Sky game that is well worth checking out. In addition to all the written content, plenty of WGTA work to get stuck into if you're discovering us for the first time. And we're really happy to have you on board. And obviously, to our existing listeners, we love you. Just to say, we are Who Got the Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. And uh, who got the assist.com is our website. We'll be posting content through the summer. So like us on Facebook and also listen and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever pod service you use. So yes, it's the unwritten rules pod. Last year we were joined by FPL Stag for this and had some rules. And I think this year we're going to take those more basic rules and make them into six overarching rules, which all FPL managers should take note of to advise them going into the new year. And no doubt Neil will make these all into a thread at the end. I promise not to shout Fred every time I have a point to make. <laughs> Definitely to be expected. All right, so let's get into the meat of it then, guys. Um, yeah, six rules we've got here to, to talk through. And uh, yeah, it's worth reminding you guys what the rules were from last season. And I think we're going to build these in a little bit more into the uh, themes that we mentioned. But the rules were fairly straightforward, fairly intuitive. Don't do raised transfers. Don't make a transfer if a midweek game is to be played. Don't chase rises. Uh, don't side grade. Don't take a month's four for a defender. Ooh, that might be a bit different this year. Uh, set your bench properly. Don't bench your premium assets. Avoid rotation risk players. And plan, but don't overplan. Lots of very, very good uh, rules there. They all make sense and they still sound as very good guidelines. And uh, we've taken them and actually re-examined them a bit in collaboration with Neil to develop some enhancements which suit how the game's progressed since we've had sight of the most recent prices. So the first rule is uh, the game has evolved. Uh, change with it. To start off here, I think it's the, the, the idea that 3-4-3 may be dead. And Neil, you recently wrote a thread on this, incredibly enough. 
Yes, I did indeed. I, I rather, I don't know whether it's prematurely or, or actually a little bit too late, declared that the 343 was dead. And I think that one of the, the big pushbacks on this was actually that last year's winner used 343 predominantly. It's been the most popular formation in years gone past. I've started with it every single year. And I've, this is my 10th year playing the game. Um, but actually, this will be the first year that I don't play it. And actually, I believe that this will be the first year that the winner doesn't necessarily have that as their predominant formation throughout the season. And kind of my, my, my reasons behind this are that in the past, or at least like understanding why it's been popular, is that premium strikers were always kind of the, the hottest, highest scoring properties in the game. Um, you'd have two, you might even have three and kind of sacrifice elsewhere, but that's no longer really the case. And if you look at the, the 33 players last year that scored 150 plus points, only eight of these are actually forwards. Uh, and of the top 11 scoring players, just three forwards, Abamian, top scoring striker, seventh top scoring player. So yeah, a lot is happening actually if you look at the points themselves. What's changed? Well, actually, I think football has changed. So most of the teams that we target for FPL assets, so the top five, the top six, they're actually now playing with one orthodox striker, wing backs high up the pitch, and wide midfielders playing as part of the front three. But while football's changed, FPL hasn't. The scoring system is still the same. So really, you can actually have defenders who are essentially playing in midfield, midfielders essentially playing up front. You could play a 5-4-1, which actually looks more like a 0-5-5. So if the scoring system hasn't changed, but football has, we can actually take advantage of this. We can actually put some of our budget backwards because our attacking defenders and midfielders are going to actually probably have a bigger upside than the forwards if you throw in clean sheet, clean sheet points as well. So we're going to have a lot of options in the mid-price range where defenders are actually going to score a lot more points in the mid-price midfielders because of the clean sheets, because of the attack and returns. And it's kind of almost impossible to make a case for playing three strikers because it really feels like the value is at the back. So kind of my conclusion around 3-4-3 three, three is that football has changed quite significantly, but FPL hasn't at all. So actually, we want to be moving some of the budget, taking advantage of some of the points that the defenders and midfielders are now scoring because of this change of football. And I think that when this new style of play emerged in the Premier League, a lot of managers actually fell by the wayside because they didn't adapt to this. And I actually believe that this could almost cross over into the game itself, where we're actually seeing this fully kind of cross over in the game. And if you don't pay attention, you could actually potentially get left behind. Yeah, exactly. I think this is something that I tried to call a little bit last summer as well when I wrote a piece on the, the death of the third striker and how there was going to be more of a trend towards playing defenders over attackers. And, and you can really see it in the price points as well. When you look at, you know, for instance, the Spurs defence, they're all £5.5 million. You could easily fit in a fourth or fifth um, defender who plays for Spurs and they're going to be much better value than the um, equivalent in the same price bracket in the in the forward line, I mean, we're talking about players like Shane Long of uh, Lacadia at, at Brighton for a £5.5 million. Pound. And it's just a diff- completely different ball game. These, you know, obviously with the Spurs players, Lacadia would need to get 12 goals to sort of match what you'd expect in terms of clean sheets from Spurs. So if you think about it, Spurs typically, I think over the last four or five seasons, they've, they've managed um, 12 clean sheets. So that's four points for each defender. A clean sheet is the equivalent of a goal. 
And uh, looking at those sort of forwards, how, how many forwards are going to score 12 goals next season? You know, obviously you're going to have the premium strikers that are going to do very well. But outside the premium strikers, there's perhaps going to be, you know, one or two that perhaps break the mould. You know, your likes of Jimenez, the likes of Wilson this season. But outside of those guys, there's, there's very few. I mean, Murray managed 13 somehow, but that's unlikely, I think, next season. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think for me... The defence is definitely where the value is at. And the front line, like you said, Neil, teams are changing. Gone are the days of sort of, the, you know, your Shearer and Sutton, your two forwards leading the line. There might be a couple of clubs that still have that sort of formula, but it's quite archaic. You know, you've got Burnley, obviously, you sort of go for a double striker and Watford as well. But I'd still back the, the premium defenders from the top six sides over those guys to deliver consistent points. Yeah, I think the defenders have definitely had a power-up, haven't they, this year? And in the past, we kind of thought, well, you know, we're going to completely sack off the defence effectively so we can pour all the resources forward. I mean, obviously, we're not saying that 3-4-3 is dead. Um, I think that it's probably something which we are going to move away from. I'm sure it will come back at some points during the season. These things do ebb and flow. And it may well be that three budget strikers show that they've, they've got some worth or, you know, one premium striker and two budget strikers, like, you know, Jota and, uh, and King plus a Kane uh, might be a valid formation. Uh, but you have to recognise the ongoing work we've done, as Nick has mentioned, around value for your money. And our value worker, which is forthcoming, I put in Fog Online over the weekend, eight out of 20 um, of top value FPL players last season were indeed defenders. This is even including a multiplier for their time played. Virgil van Dijk, 6.5 million price, by the way, um, saw him top the charts. He flipped over from Robbo, who topped it on last year's uh, end price at 6.7. Uh, VVD will now give you 20.25 points per mil um, based on last season's score. I think that you know the game has evolved. We've given a kind of a quick kind of overview there, um, but I think that changing with it and not sticking to the old adages of a 3-4-3 is really important. And what was really interesting here was when they released Andrew Robertson's price on Twitter, looking at how people responded to that, like not the people who were really engaged with it, we, like people who were in the FPL community were saying, oh, that's a really good price. And I'm really surprised he's not 7.5. Um, but a lot of the kind of the responses by kind of your normal people effectively was like, oh, that's, that's, that's so expensive. I'm never going to spend that much on a defender. Wow, that's crazy. He's not in my team at all. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show that, you know, the game has evolved and we're trying to change it, I think. Doubtless, of course, in game week one, all the premium defenders are going to do nothing. And you're going to find the cheap defenders uh, rule the roost. But you know, it's on like Donkey Kong really for the defenders, isn't it? And I guess you know, that brings into question that old rule from last year. Does the rule, don't take runs for for a defender, still hold up? You've got the likes of Matt Ritchie, for example. I think Nick says 140 points last season he'd have got if he was a defender. If he like, you know, starts to come to prominence for Newcastle um, when they've got uh, some decent games, like surely that kind of guy is worth minus four now. It, you shouldn't be thinking anymore, oh yeah, it's, it's, not, worth, uh, it's not worth it just because he's a defender. We, we've got to kind of cast off that aspersion, right? I don't know about that, to be honest. I mean, as an overly cautious player, I often think you really do need a strong case in any case to do the minus four and to take that hit. And I think this leans into our concept and sort of our comments on overmanagement, which I think we'll get onto a little bit later. But personally, for me, I think if you're short an 11th man in your team, you know, you're only going to be fielding 10 players. And I think in that case, a defender is fine to do a minus four. And obviously we saw last season that the defenders really smashed it. You know, Robertson outscored every single forward in the game. So I don't think, I think to say, to make a blanket statement, don't take a minus four for a defender as a rule, 
is a bit arbitrary. I think you do need a little bit of flexibility here. There's, there's going to be certain circumstances perhaps that might dictate taking a minus four. For instance, um, you know, like there's a really a defender that's getting a lot of assists. We saw a TAA, perhaps he would have been worth a minus four at points um, last season or Laporte, especially for the double game weeks. He was phenomenal. But I think with defenders, you have to always remember that unlike midfielders and forwards who really do go through purple patches, you don't tend to get the same purple patches with defenders. You don't really get that defender that's bang on form, that's hitting all the time, that's getting loads of points. You may have, for instance, Virgil van Dijk. He's in the best form of his life. But if he's paired with the likes of Lovren, who's, who's um, sort of giving the ball away and giving away a sloppy penalty, then that clean sheet is not necessarily going to happen. And uh, I, think that, I think that's what you have to be careful with. You know, Liverpool were phenomenal last season in terms of the defence. But, you know, it's not necessarily going to happen again next season. I agree with that. But at the same time, I would say that I think one of the, the mental traps here is that we are looking at them as defenders. And I think one of the points that I'm kind of keen to make, and I've also been speaking a lot about five at the back on Twitter, is that I, I don't really feel that a five at the back is a five at the back. I don't think defenders are defenders in the same way that we used to see them. And I actually think in some way we should stop thinking about classifying them as purely defenders or purely midfielders. If you just look at number of returns, then Robertson got 33 returns if you include clean sheet assist goals last season. Look at six to seven million defense and midfield options. The closest midfielder that came to Robertson with 33 was Zaha with 21. And in fact, if you look at like a lot of the main defensive attacking, attacking defensive options in that six to seven mil bracket, Zaha was the only one who actually managed 20 plus returns and actually 10 defenders manage that so to me I don't think you would necessarily feel uncomfortable with taking a hit for someone like Zaha who is coming up with three four really great fixtures so why should you have that same kind of concern over someone like TAA Robertson Alonso um, Dina like I, I don't have that same concern and I think if you are going to set up a five at the back you know almost half your team is actually in defense so at some point you're probably going to have to take a hit um, for a defender. So naturally, you're going to have to go down that if you do kind of put that budget into the back line. But also, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the value in this five-at-the-back tactic or going big on defense is actually finding the defenders that are consistent with clean sheets, with attacking returns, and then actually sticking with them. So for me, a lot of the ones that I'm trying to identify right now will, over a season or over half the season until we played a wild card, perform quite strongly. So I'm not really looking to swap them out as fixtures come up because they do offer that return anyway. That it's not a case of, oh, now they've got three hard fixtures, they might not keep a clean sheet. That's not a problem. They will probably, well, they might get an attack and return in one of those games, right? So they're still going to return. So I think that the biggest thing for me is to stop kind of classifying them as defense defenders, midfielders, oh, don't take a minus four for a defender and actually start looking at them in kind of price bracket, how much money uh, they cost and what their potential returns are. Yeah, no, that certainly makes sense. And I think it's really interesting, isn't it, um, in terms of this kind of evolution of the game to think about that because I think in the past we'd have, you know, I, I think kind of the latent assumption we would make is, um, to your point, Neil, that the midfielder of a striker is more likely to make up that hit for you than the defender is. But if you think about 
the defense in this new way that actually like, they've got the best of both worlds almost like it is it, is such a potent force having a defender who has that uh, has that attacking output married with that defensive output that's why someone like Alonso is so good that's why someone like uh, Robertson is so good and um, I think kind of you know the idea that you should treat defenders as uh, just as kind of you know an afterthought has definitely been exploded I think uh, moving on to things which uh, are kind of exploding um, the idea of stats and expected metrics like um, I think that you mentioned this Neil didn't you when we were talking about them developing this point in terms of how the game has evolved we have seen that um, you know stats have definitely taken off uh, I just want to make a quick caveat for the delicate here. Uh, as we said when Adam Hopcroft was on last year, we know that watching football and ignoring stats is a viable way to play the game. Nick knows that, I know that, Neil knows that, but it's still a point worth making. Anyway, stats move you beyond relying on just your eyes. There's plenty of evidence that those who don't watch much football, for whatever reason, their family reasons, live abroad, something like that, can still do very, very well. Um, although the eye test, you know, football fans watching football, um, still clearly has its place. And I think that kind of looking at the expected stats is definitely something that you've been pushing, haven't you, Neil? And I think that a lot of your friends, the ones who've got the most traction, have been kind of focusing on that. Yeah, which is quite interesting. So I, for me, last year was actually the first time that I really took the time to pay attention to and appreciate how useful like XG, XA, XGI are, which for those who, who don't know is kind of expected goals, expected assists, expected goal involvement. And it really, really helped me. And I actually moved to not paying any attention to probably weighing them the heaviest when making captaincy and transfer decisions. And I'm going to reveal something which I haven't told anyone before, uh, not even on Twitter, um, where I'm very active. But when I was at I, I was at one K in the world at some point last year, probably in December, I hadn't actually watched one minute of football, not even any highlights. So I reached one K in the world purely by going on stats, purely by going on XG. Um, and you know, there is a bit of kind of you know bias around what I'm saying there. Um, there was probably a lot of other factors, including luck, that got me to that point. Um, after December, I actually started to watch a lot of football and, and, and kind of went the other way. Didn't finish as high as 1K, but that's not the reason why either. So, you know, there is obviously some, some kind of other factors around that statement. But I just kind of wanted to say that I think it's interesting that actually just paying attention to stats was the reason why I was able to have such a great start to the season, in my opinion. Just to go over a couple of the, the decisions that I took, which I placed purely on, on kind of XG and XA and XGI. So I, I triple capped in Aubameyang um, when he played Cardiff. Um, and the reason for that was his kind of expected goal involvement compared to minutes over his last four home matches was uh, 75 minutes. Only Salah was, was kind of better in him at 73.7, playing a Cardiff defense, worst away defense in the league at that point. No side had conceded more shots in the box in their last four away games. Of course, I also looked at where I felt that there were going to be kind of future triple captain opportunities, and I didn't feel like there were going to be many outside. Uh, I didn't think there was going to be really any in a double game week uh, because you'd want to be playing other chips then. And I didn't really fancy any of the single game weeks with, with Salah. Um, so I actually took the pun on Aubameyang based on those stats. And I got lucky. He got 12 points. I got 36. Very lucky assist and a penalty. Could have, could have gone really badly. And I think there's an interesting side rule there that focus on the quality of the decision, not the quality of the outcome. Um, could have easily gone wrong for me, but I would have stood by the decision. But I can definitely say that kind of incorporating these in 
to my game this season made a huge impact on how I played the game. And I think it really, really had a great impact on how well I did. Yeah, I definitely agree with you in terms of the, the importance of stats and how they really can help you overall in terms of your performance across the season. You're, you're not the only person, actually, that's uh, not watched the game and done well. Of course, it was, it was Simon March who, who won FPL a few seasons back, didn't watch a single game all year whilst he was living out in Singapore. So uh, it's actually it's actually more common than you think, Neil. Um, you know, people not watching football, but just, just relying on the data. And, you know, there's so much information available now. And, it, and, it's, all, and it's all worth studying. XG, XGI, like you said, or just looking at the basic stats, you know, just how many chances are players creating, how many shots are players taking, how many penalty box touches they're getting. It's all, it's all really useful, you know, player stats, team stats, um, just analysing the data can really unearth some gems, perhaps before other players get them. For instance, um, I was quite early on the Doherty wagon, and he was he was doing really well. And you know, looking at the defenders, he had more shots than any other defender, bar Alonso, I think at the time it was only four point four million. And I was straight on that wagon in around game week five, game week six, and he he performed brilliantly. And it was the same with Luca Dean and his you know amazing amount of chances he was creating compared to other defenders and, and getting on those defenders early uh, based on the stats that were available really um, helped me in terms of my overall rank so I think um, in terms of the metrics and the stats if, if you want to perform well in FPL you know the eye test is all well and good but in, at the end of the day big big data is the answer and it gives you all the information without you having to watch a single game of football perhaps it's a bit um, you know you're kind of taking a little bit of the fun out of the game, perhaps, you know, part of it's watching the football, seeing the players perform, you know, seeing your players score a goal live when you own them is is an absolute thrill. And it's, it's fantastic when you get to watch a game with, with mates and stuff. But, you know, in terms of performing well in FPL, you know, you don't have to. You can, you can just use um, the information that's available in abundance on the internet. Yeah, of course, we're not suggesting don't watch football, dear me, before anyone writes in. Um, but just to round off this point, I think the, the central kind of nub of this is that stats are objective and your eyes are very subjective. I've got a forthcoming article um, coming up but on, but on the, the behavioural science point called Availability Heuristic here, which may help us. Let's go down the pipe of psychology quickly. Um, this is a psychological impact where your brain retrieves the most salient facts when you're making a decision. And this can be something like, I don't know, a player scoring you a lot of points one week back in the past which makes you think oh okay that guy's a good bet or it could be you know you, you've seen a few games where a players look very very good so you thought yeah think yeah yeah i'm going to buy him in just to give you an example of this and how past experience may impact your future decisions uh, felipe anderson which may call the name of which may cause many of you to flinch uh, but let's imagine you bought him in in game 20 last season like our friend fpl awesome did um he just scored 15 points versus southampton and had five decent fixtures to come in burnley brighton arsenal bournemouth and wolves of course no arsenal was an easy game you so it's a certain amount of output relative to the 7.3 he cost but he blanks in every single one of those games. Um, we, we expect much more than 11 points in those games for Felipe Anderson. As a result, we saw a max exodus of managers. 497,000 sold him in game week 25, and um, when he finally returned with an eight-pointer versus Liverpool. So, um, if you went through that experience and you absolutely hate Felipe Anderson, that sort of thing can mess with your mind going forward. So, West Ham, obviously they start against Man City, but as we noticed in the fixtures pod, they start actually with a very, very good run. And they only play Manchester United of, of the top six teams after that uh, Man City game, right up until game week 11. But if you have in your mind the idea that, you know, I watched Felipe Anderson, didn't do anything, captain against Fulham, I had a bad experience, um, that may mean that you don't, 
considered the stats if he's doing well as heavily as you would. He was the talisman last year, for example, West Ham, but that's not really saying very much. They weren't very good. Um, and I think leaning on availability there, rather than reevaluating that opinion, may be a psychological trap in the future. Stats are objective and allow you to see the full picture. So I think both of those together, thinking about defenders a little bit differently and maybe taking the stats on board are very, very important. And I think they are a decent reflection of how the game has changed and probably a very, very good nomination for our first unwritten rule. The second one, uh, just to move it on, uh, is do what's right for you, not what everybody else is doing. Uh, So I think it's fair to say we're at a saturation point of opinion now. Okay, yeah, we're part of the problem and Neil's part of the problem because we're all content providers and we're all getting our thoughts out there. You can start drowning in data and noise. Uh, but fundamentally, you are the manager of your team, you the listener. And uh, a good example of this is Ben Crellin last year. Like, I had so much sympathy for Ben. He did so much work. But so many people gave him dog's abuse after his wildcard plan didn't quite work out for them. Fundamentally, that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, psychologically, this is known as a diffusion of responsibility. It's the same in- impulse that means if someone collapses in the street or on the tube, people more than likely walk away rather than help. Uh, people blame others or uh, think that somebody else is going to take responsibility rather than taking it themselves to diffuse the blame, diffuse responsibility away. But fundamentally, you need to remember that it's your team. And just because everyone else is following one strategy doesn't mean that you have to as well. This cuts both ways, of course. Don't go around calling people sheep if they've decided that, that uh, what everyone else is doing is for the best. Herd mentality isn't necessarily a bad thing. We'll speak about that later. But you know, there are a few examples, aren't there, in our kind of recent histories, which um, may illustrate this point very well. Starting with the saturation point, I guess, with opinion. I mean, obviously, opinion can be sourced anywhere now. There are numerous podcasts, blogs, websites. You've got armchair pundits on Twitter that are very loud and vocal in terms of making their points about certain players. But this opinion may not always be as informed as you actually may presume. Um, I speak from personal experience here. Now, just just kidding. But on, on a serious note, perhaps you've perhaps suffered uh, from this a little bit more than me, Tom, in the past in terms of um, looking at the Twitter hive and what people on Twitter are saying and, and being heavily influenced. And uh, for it, I think, for example, um, you, you may get concerned that everyone has um, Aguero or Sterling. All you can see online are these drafts and everyone has Aguero, Sterling. Everyone's saying, oh, you've got to captain him. But you could perhaps save a few pennies. You could get Kevin De Bruyne or or Bernardo Silva in, in your first draft. And this mean, might mean that you actually fit in Kane. And all of a sudden, you've got Kane at home against Aston Villa. You're covering Manchester City. And uh, with a bit of ingenuity, you've just trumped the template and scored big in game week one whilst those with all those other assets have blown it. So at the end of the day, just focus on your own opinion because, you know, you are the manager of your team. And, and moving on to that, I mean, we do see it, as you mentioned with Ben Krellin, that, um, you know, some people ask... Um, you know, people at the same time, the sort of questions on their team and um, then they get blamed. So you might say to one of us, or who do I bring in? And we give you a suggestion and then next, you know, we get told off, but that will just inevitably get yourself muted. Yeah, and I think it's also, it's not just about your own team. It's also about your own ambitions or, or where you want to be with your team or how you want to play the game. Because I think that that is also like a piece of contextual information that we also often leave out of this type of conversation. Because many people have different aims, right? Whether you want to finish in the top 10K, when you want to finish in the top 100K, whether you want to beat your own personal best, whether you want to win your mini league, everyone is kind of competing or playing for a different reason. And I think that that also matters. So it's not only just your own team, it's also your own 
situation because I think there was there was an example last year where Magnus Carlsen the world chess champion he at one point he was actually like a hundredth in the world or a little off that and he captained Hazard when everyone else that week was captain Salah and you know everyone said what a stupid move to make why did he make that move Salah was the obvious captain choice everyone was going there but I think for me like how I analyzed that was you know, Magnus Carlsen is a winner. He, he wanted to put himself in a good position of winning the whole thing. And at 100th, halfway through the season, why wouldn't you make a risky move to try and put yourself in that type of position? So I think that's a great example of where context also makes sense to the moves that you're making. So yeah, if I'm maybe at 20K, 30K, and I'm looking to, to move up the ranks a little bit, maybe I wouldn't captain Hazard that week. Maybe I'd go with Salah and rely on a couple of the other differentials and keep chipping away at my target. But if you're in a position of 100th and you have, you have hopes of winning the whole thing, that's the type of move that, yes, risky, yes, it could look stupid, yes, it could really backfire for you, but it could also really make a great stride towards your actual goal. So I think that, yes, take responsibility of your own team, but also don't kind of shy away from your own ambitions and your own position as well. Yeah, absolutely. Judgment is key, isn't it? We all try to give you the facts as far as we can. We all try to analyze the data, uh, try to pinpoint the trends behind what's going on. And you as managers need to take that and make your own decisions with it. There's a very good point, Neil, about context there. Just given a played example of this last season, mainstream strategy around chips uh, was to build towards the blanket game week 31. Free hit on double game week 32, uh, wild card in 34 and bench boost in 35 and use your triple captainship wherever. Like that, that wasn't really part of the plan. It didn't suit me because of the position I was in. Uh, so I devised a slightly different one. So I built up to double game in 32, free hits in the blank in 31, triple captain in 32, which was on Conaguero, who went up injured, but he did get a goal and assist. So, okay. Um, with my built 11, uh, wild cards in 33, weaker than everybody else, and bench boosted like everyone else in 35. I made up a lot of points. Obviously, I was doing kind of awfully at that point as listeners may know um so it's obviously availability heuristic and obviously framed by my own experience uh, but i courted my rank effectively in that period um, so it kind of shows that sometimes it is the case of looking at your team looking at what's going on in the meta in the zeitgeist in the chat and thinking well what applies actually to me should i be doing it just because everyone else is doing it or um, should i make my own plan should i make my own strategy and my own decisions and i think it ultimately it sounds a bit sappy but it's a lot more satisfying if you win Princess Peach yourself rather than doing it through somebody else's strategy. Yeah, I think you've got to do your own plumbing, right? And I think you have to take responsibility for that. But a good point in terms of content saturation, it's also really hard to kind of make a point or make a stand against something that everyone else is doing, right? Like, it's really hard to say, hey, do you know what? I'm actually going to triple captain Aubameyang because you know you're going to get egg on your face if that doesn't play off. So it can really it can really kind of put you off of those moves as well. So I think that there's there's definitely saturation kind of point with opinion, and that can actually play into how that can almost make you not want to take responsibility for your team. Because I think that it's easy to triple captain Salah and hey, it didn't pay off, but hey, 50, 60% of other people did it as well. So you're not gonna look stupid. But if you're captain of Bamiyang and it doesn't pay off and only 1% of people did it, you are going to look stupid if it, if it doesn't pay off, right? So I definitely think there's this kind of risk-reward almost being thrown into this content saturation piece as well and in terms of responsibility for your own team. 
Yeah, definitely. I think wherever you go, there there are potential banana skins to to any move that you make. I mean, I think we saw it specifically around the triple captain chip last season. So a lot of people um, triple captained Leroy Sane, for instance, in the double game week. I actually, um, I actually didn't. I ended up captaining Salah against Huddersfield in the single game week, and and that was considered um, a bit maverick, actually, ironically, even though it's Mo Salah, he's playing Huddersfield at home. That's the perfect fixture. Um, most people were thinking, oh, you should be using your triple captain on a double game week, but Salah was perfect. And in, in the meantime, those that sort of triple captain Sane, who, who everyone thought was nailed on at the time, ended up just getting the one point and, and being the victim of sort of Pep's uh, rotation. And uh, Though personally, I did make the same mistake as in I, that game week. I didn't captain Sane, but I transferred out Hazard, who I think was either playing Cardiff or Huddersfield or someone easy, for Sane on a hit. And Hazard ended up getting 15 points. Sane got the one point. And I, I was a victim because I saw the, the people on, on Twitter, the slack wagon. I jumped, I jumped on. So I kind of, you know, I saw what everyone else was doing with the triple captains. And I thought, oh, I've got to get this guy in my team. But, you know, that was my own action. I had to take responsibility for that. I, I didn't blame anyone. You know, I was just sort of, um, that, was, that was my mistake. And I had to, had to own up to that mistake. So you, at the end of the day, you do have to take responsibility for your actions. You're the only person that manages your team at the end of the day. Yeah, certainly. And they've always got that amazing, amazing Twitter phenomenon that you see every single year that somebody is, you, you see someone tweet and you think, God, that guy's having an amazing season. But actually what they've done is they've tweeted the one week they've done really, really well. And then they've gone off and got 50s or 60s, not, not really said anything, and then come back with their team four weeks later with an 100-pointer. And you have a look at them, and you actually see, oh, actually, I'm doing better than them. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, that guy is doing really, really well. Incredible, really. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are, I think are two very, very good rules uh, just to round off this section before we go to a break. The game has evolved, change with it, and do what's right for you, not what everyone else is doing. After all, it is an individual game. It is all about you. We're here to help. We're here to assist you. Uh, but you are ultimately the manager of your team. Right, let's have a break there, guys, and we'll move on uh, just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and uh, moving on to the third rule now. And it's kind of related to the second one in some ways uh, in terms of uh, do what's right for you. The next rule is uh, the obvious moves are obvious for a reason. Uh, last year with Stag, we said that you, know, you should avoid a rotation risk players and uh, OR-wise, you know, differentials were differentials for a reason. Obviously, there's a little bit of a difference if you're in the mini-league and trying to differentiate from others. But if you're playing just to get the best rank possible, a lot of the time differentials are differentials for a reason. Overthinking uh, can often lead to you making kind of uh, dumb moves when you've got an obvious move staring you in the face. You know, don't side grade, as you said with Stag. And you know, last year, for example, um, when I was Salah and uh, being absolutely destroyed, uh, I should have been looking to bring him in. Instead, I decided to buy Kevin De Bruyne um, when I was trying to be too clever. So, so obvious moves then guys what do we think yeah i think in terms of rotation risk i think it all depends on what formation or strategy that you're planning on starting with so if you're actually setting up as 5-4-1 then you really have to have a striker that's going to play week in week out you've got to go for someone like kane vardy someone who kind of always plays unless they're injured because if your striker doesn't play you're going to get zero off the bench most likely because you're going to have 4.5 bench fodder strikers we don't know who's going to get minutes there so in that case yeah like don't get a rotation risk striker if you're going to put one up top if you're going to go for a more balanced 4-4-2 setup couple of playing options off the bench then I think you could probably afford to take more of a risk with kind of a high risk high reward rotation risk type player who could be explosive but might not always play 90 minutes yeah definitely I think um 
part of the problem actually with the, the sort of the new adoptive strategies that are going out with sort of five at the back or four at the back and only one forward is is the fact that there's there's so few um, forwards that are actually playing in in the cheaper bracket. So if if you're only going to be spending four point five million on on a couple of forwards, um, which are going to be sitting on your bench, then those guys aren't going to play. So you, you need your players to be playing week in week out, and I think that is the risk. Um, the teams I've seen, and most of the drafts I've seen, have have had perhaps one defect, one player on the bench that's actually going to play. And normally, it's someone like Dendonka or or Hamza Choudhury, who's not really that nailed, to be honest. So, you, you do want your starting eleven to be playing week in, week out, especially at the beginning of the season. However. On, on the other side, I, I, can, I do still think that you can take chances. Differentials can be found that way. For instance, I've actually, in my starting 11, I've got a player in there who I would describe as a rotation risk player. Um, and, and one that other pundits perhaps have um, criticised. Um, so likes of FF Scout, uh, Joe, who obviously thrilled to see him back online and active again, um, described my transfer, because um, I've got Lucas Moore in my team at the moment, transfer waiting to happen. I still see a strong case for Lucas Moura, um, especially in the first couple of game weeks, though he may be a rotation risk. The first couple of game weeks with Sons being suspended, he's not going to be a rotation risk. He's going to be starting. And with that home match against Norwich, 7.5 million. And as I said um, on Twitter, he scored a couple of hat-tricks at the end of the season. He scored a hat-trick against Ajax, you know. This is, this is a class player who could be really good for Spurs and he could be a real differential and he's affordable as well. Yeah, I get that. I, I guess it's still the case, though, that differentials are mostly differentials for a reason. And I understand, you know, Joe's Twitter display picture is a picture of Yaya Torre and the word Dullard written underneath it, which tells you what we need to know. Because Joe plays a very, very safe game. That's how he does well every year. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, that's kind of my train of thought here. I mean, you've got to weigh up the fact that, um, you know, you can go differentials, the crazy ones like Nick, the Nick mentions of Lucas Moura, well, perhaps crazy ones like Nick mentions Lucas Moura. Um, Mark Southerns is another good example of somebody who does this, goes differentials and gets onto the new template where everyone else does. And we've given a few examples of contrarian four as well, Neil with his Aubameyang triple captaincy, for example. Um, but going with the herd can often feel like something that we don't want to do you know it's boring it's unsexy but actually it is the right thing to do in a lot of cases because the herd isn't actually a bad thing and um, herd mentality of course is what this touches on and uh, you'll be not surprised now i've got a psychology corner on this uh, but herd mentality actually helped our ancestors survive so imagine the mindset figurative cave person you uh, suddenly some food becomes available let's say dead antelope or something's brought back to your cave or a dead mouse that's running around my flat at the moment and uh, you see others start to eat it um, cave person you would want to get into the action as well your survival instinct kinks, kicks in and you don't want to go without and die which is fear which is one motivation of herd mentality and you want to be nourished and survive another day which is greed uh, the other kind of part of herd mentality and with players as well this counts so you don't want to go without that player and lose out the points which is the fear and you also want those points for yourself which is greed uh, many deny of course they're influenced by the herd um, it's almost a pejorative thing to say to, say to someone oh you're, you're a sheep you know you're being influenced by the mentality but it's not necessarily a bad thing obviously this is fpl a less high fluting example of that um but going with the herd isn't a bad thing most of the time the obvious moves are obvious for a reason and they're the ones which are going to help you get to that point where you can start to take risks for example with the magnus carlson example yeah but i do think at the same time you shouldn't let fear necessarily rule your decision making process because i think you can have an edge if you can kind of eliminate from that because I think there was a great example last year where you know everyone was going to captain Salah against Leicester and yeah I think 
if you think he's the best captain against Leicester and there isn't a best alternative that week, then do it. But if you don't believe that, then don't do it out of fear because everyone else is going to do it because that can actually give you an edge if you're able to eliminate and separate yourself from that. And I don't think it's necessarily about being a maverick. It's about eliminating fear from your decision-making process. So it's not about trying to find the right opportunity to go against the herd. It's just about making the decisions for the right reasons and still kind of having conviction in what you believe in. Yeah, definitely. I think it does take a fine balance. And I've always said in the past to try and keep calm and follow the template where you can. But I always encourage that you have perhaps one or two differentials, maybe around a sort of 7.5 million bracket in the midfield. You know, someone who perhaps only has an ownership of two or three percent that can really sort of increase your rank. And um, I had, you know, Gilfie Sigerson, for instance, he didn't deliver for me, but he delivered for a lot of other players last season. He was a real differential at points. And you said with Mark Summons, the Sterling example, when you owned him at the beginning of the season, I think at one point his ownership was only 1.5% or something ridiculous after he had um, a pretty terrible World Cup with England. So um, I think definitely there is a fine balance between having those template players, making sure you're covered in all the right places, for instance, the Liverpool defence, perhaps a Liverpool premium asset, but also, you know, bringing in the differential that can really bang for you. And I think perhaps, as you mentioned, with KDB, Tom, and you also had Sanchez that the previous season, sometimes taking those gambles. When you're chasing points, ignoring the template, you know, going a bit rash and picking a player out of a hat, perhaps, that you think is going to do well, but... It's too much of a risk isn't always the optimum strategy and you're better off just following what other people are doing, following that herd and um, slowly catching them up with, with um, you know, clever differentials, um, one or two players in your team. When, when you see a lot of people bringing in a certain player for a certain fixture, that's the obvious move. And, and sometimes, and then to focus on the rule here, is the obvious moves are obvious for a reason. Sometimes it's better not to be too contrary and, and just follow the herd because the herd knows best. <laughs> do that again. That's about as, as much conviction as a Tory politician then. Right? <laughs> um. <laughs> and sometimes it's better just to follow the herd. There you go. Sweet. So while I agree that it does make sense to go with the herd a lot of the time, and especially in, in kind of big captaincies, obvious captaincies, obvious transfers, I do think it's important as well to just kind of respect the the role that fear plays in that decision-making as well and not to kind of give in to fear, but actually to look at the move objectively and kind of see that that is the obvious move that makes sense and that's why the herd are going for it. Yeah, exactly. I think a few good points have been made there and I think, you know, um, to the point about fear... I think that, you know, removing fear from your consideration set is obviously something that um, does play a role. However, I do think that you can't deny the fact that you you are often scared of players. Like, going into game weeks, you are often absolutely uh, wetting yourself, so to speak, uh, just about certain individuals who, you know, um, could really punish you if you don't own them. Like, you know, looking at effective ownership, for example, uh, through live rank has definitely become something which uh, uh, has become part of the uh, part of the ritual of every game week. And uh, often... You know, having that kind of sense of fear is what can help you make good decisions. Um, as I mentioned, with the kind of whole evolutionary kind of background to herd mentality, so all of this does show that you know, going back to the next point as well about having the blend, that sometimes it, you know you've got to be able to just break it down to okay, um, do I have an opportunity here to go against the template, um, as Neil said, and uh, you know have a differential, or is it the case that I've got to make the obvious move? In a lot of cases, you know, 
not being contrarian, um, you know, with my KDB example, and just just sorting your team out. Um, as boring as that sounds, you know, template armor is something that can really, really help you uh, just to recover if you're having a bit of a uh, stuttering period or um, do something, um, you know, to to sort your fortunes out. Uh, often the obvious move is obvious for a reason. And I think that, you know, it, it, we shouldn't be kind of saying, oh, the herd is a bad thing and we shouldn't be talking negatively about it because a lot of the time it it does make sense uh, to do so. Uh, on the other hand, though, of course, as Neil points out, uh, sometimes it is good to, to just try to remove that fear and just, just stick to your own convictions obviously you've got to weigh it up um, but I guess the point of this rule is that a lot of the time the obvious move is obvious for a reason and uh, you should always uh, try to weigh that up perhaps outside of any kind of impulse to be contrarian and be different because often that's not going to be something which is going to help you out in the long run okay so sometimes the obvious moves are obvious for a reason uh, moving on then uh, doing nothing is a very valuable option uh, this is an interesting one the one that nick and i've spoken about a fair bit with our over management sort of uh, point that we made at the end of last season over management is basically the idea that there is a lot of value in doing nothing the importance of being idle so you know a good example was last year game week 15 my team was in ruins i had a poor week salah only got off the bench for an assist versus bernie andrew robertson was arrested and one of my strikers on altovich wound up being injured <clears throat> I planned to remove Arnie eventually, have my own Kane and Sane to come in to start compliment Serling. City were killing it at this point. And as a result of a poor game week, I decided to accelerate my plans in terms of transfers and do the following minus eight. I took out Salah for uh, Sane, I took out Robertson for TAA, and I took out Arnautovic for Kane. What happened next is, of course, infamous in terms of punishment for sellers. Um, and I think I got you know, 50 points that next week, whereas people who kept on Salah got you know, 90 plus. Um, FPL general Mark is a very good example of this. He did the complete opposite to what I did. So I was just kind of you know, all het up and I thought, well, yeah, I've, I've got to make a move here. Um, he did nothing, just played uh, Balboin or I think it was in a less than ideal scenario and Salah saw him shoot up the ranks as with his captaincy um, in one fell swoop if we, make it, if we were to make an artificially narrow head-to-head comparison my overmanagement cost me the following 42 points from Salah 11 points from Robertson CAA didn't play to compound the misery 8 points from the hit and I also lost the flexibility of two free transfers um, so you know the opportunity cost of me um, making those transfers was that I missed out on that flexibility. I missed out on the fact that Mo Salah was about to really express the underlying stats that we'd seen. And actually, We Rogue has an opportunity cost article coming up on our website. Um, and this kind of links in as well with what we said in the old pod about um, you know, never do raise transfers or midweek transfers if you possibly can. Um, so, the value of doing nothing then, guys, what do we think? Yeah, I think there's also a point to be made about don't make a move out of boredom. One of the most interesting examples of overmanagement I saw last season was when everyone all of a sudden decided it was a great time to triple captain Salah in a blank game week, but he was really, really out of form. He had one goal, one assist in the last seven, 34th most informed midfielder in the game. I genuinely believe that the real question we should have been asking was, should we actually sell him for Mane? It was also when Mane was exploding. But it was a blank game week. Everyone was a bit bored. So they thought, well, when else am I going to play my triple captainship? Got a memory of him doing big things in a blank game week last season when I captained him. Let's do it again. And just because there's less fixtures in a game week doesn't really change the form he's in. And I think there's, there's something to be said about don't make moves out of boredom. Um, which can can also be a, a problem with overmanagement, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think if you're heavily invested in the FPL community, like we are, 
you kind of get a little bit bored, especially in the you've got a week until the next games, you've got nothing to do. You're kind of, you're clicking on the website, you're looking at your team, you're looking at it every night and you think, oh, I just want to make a move. Oh, what can I do? You're actually forgetting that the men you've got, the 11 men you've got in your team are actually really good players. They might be having decent fixtures, but you know, oh, someone's mentioned Kane on Twitter or something along those lines. You figured, actually, if I do a bit of jiggery pokery here, or Bamiyang's got Leicester, but Kane's got Cardiff, I could do a swapperoo here. It's, it's not always going to pay off and you end up taking a hit or something. And yeah, like you said, you're bored, you end up doing transfers and inevitably it can it can blow up in your face. So sometimes it's better just to let your team be, you know, take a couple of days off, take a break and not, and not overmanage your team. And I think this links quite well actually with um, our uh, rules from last year in regards to transfers. Don't, don't do rage transfers, which a lot of us have done. You know, I've, I've been tempted last season as well from, from the sort of garden of Eden, but um, I managed to resist it, whopping him out. Um, the other rule was don't make a transfer from midweek games to be played. Often we sort of we've overmanaged our teams. We've done a transfer early to chase a rise, but especially with those Thursday nights in in the Europa League, we've punished before and we've called this the Austin rule. So uh, avoid rushing towards Jimenez or or Yotta if they've got a tough night ahead in Baku. Um, we've also said uh, don't don't chase rises was another thing, and um, especially you know there's some really good websites out there, FPL statistics, fancy football fix that give you you know live updates in terms of who's going to rise in price and you're, you're looking at it and you're thinking christ you know sterling's going up another 0.1 this game week if i don't if i don't transfer him in now i'm gonna i'm gonna miss the value but at the end of the day it's, it's not worth you know destroying your team or taking a hit just to to get that extra 0.1 million worth of value out of your player um, and the other one was don't side grade and you, you you know, the classic case here is Liverpool. We talked about the red roulette um, before on the pod as well in terms of rotating Liverpool strikers and Liverpool forwards and, you know, the fact that one might bang one week and the other might blank. So the classic case would be if, if Mane gets a brace, you've got Salah. Don't just go transfer out Salah and bring Mane in because that's, that's just going to completely blow up in your face just because you can never predict which one of those guys is actually going to get the points week in, week out. Often it's, it's kind of self-inflicted losing lives effectively uh, through over-management. And you know, a lot of the time we are looking at our teams a lot, as Nick said, and looking at what people are talking about. And the weekly content churn can definitely be something that makes you kind of think and feel. But um, you know, Matthew Jones, uh, who was number one in the Hall of Fame uh, for, for, for quite a while, has said a few times that patience is a dying art in FPL. But a lot of the time we feel like we have to make transfers driven by the price changes. And actually, a lot of the time, it is best to stand still and be patient with your team. Because as Nick said, you're, you've chosen those players for a reason. They are good players. It's just that you know, one, one week they may have gotten you 50 altogether. But what's to say that next week they, they're not going to get you a, sort of 80 or 90? Obviously, the underlying stats aren't there, then you might, might want to make some changes. But a lot of the time, just being patient and seeing players as a long-term investment is a good idea. Um, you know, we're looking at a lot of stats at the moment, for example, which are all of last season's data. So that impacts our ability to understand them a little bit because they are over the course of 38 game weeks. When you're right up against the coalface and you're playing um, you know, week in, week out, maybe things differ a little bit and you think, oh, okay, this, this, this week, um, you know, th- th- this guy hasn't done very well the last couple of game weeks, I'm going to get rid of him. Um, but actually, it's worth bearing in mind the fact that over the course of the season, these players will provide you value. And a good example of that is defenders, of course. If they haven't kept clean sheets for a couple of games, get a couple of two-pointers, it's only natural to feel a little bit... Um, get itchy feet 
Um, but at the same time, being patient with those players and probably doing nothing, banking the transfer, having two FTs and uh, having using just one and rolling the other tends to become the perfect scenario that I try to aim for. Yeah, I think ultimately that the time and information is worth more than point one in price changes, right? And I, I think that especially once you get into January or the second half of the season, that buying yourself time and information is worth more. There was many situations last year where you'd go into like a 10 days break. And I think that one of the fears that FPL managers have is, oh, 10 days break, there's going to be price rises. The most informed players are going to go up 0.2. You can make a little profit. But actually, often in the 10-day breaks last season, that was actually when we got information about the blanks, the doubles, what was coming up. And actually just sitting and waiting on that free transfer actually allowed you to plan better for what was to come. And yeah, you might miss out on 0.1 in profit, but ultimately that time and information that you'll save by maybe banking a transfer that week even and getting two free transfers and all of a sudden City have a double game week is going to be worth much more to you than just 0.1 in a profit on a price rise. Certainly. So I think a lot of the time doing nothing is a very valuable option. We should upweight that. Uh, just to round this off, like a lot of the time on, uh, on all social channels when it comes to FPL, people say, what should I do this week? Should I A, transfer X for Y or B, transfer Z for A? Um, I, I think what's important is having option C, do nothing there as on the same plane as those guys. Because a lot of the time we do want to act, we do want to make a change to create a positive outcome. Um, but that tends to mean we overestimate the value that that change is going to have on our fortunes. And actually doing nothing at all, as Neil says, is probably a lot more valuable to you uh, than acting. You may feel better in the short term, but in the long run, it actually is going to uh, be a better thing for you to do, to just sit on your hands. Cool. Uh, let's take one final break there and we'll move on to the final two rules. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's uh, time to continue on with the rules. And, and the next one is continuously adapt your strategy. And this is the idea that you don't get too wedded to a plan, be it transfer plans or maybe a grand strategy for the season. Allow a little bit of flexibility in your decisions. I think perhaps um, the classic case um, for myself and Tom is, is from a couple of seasons back, perhaps, when we had the uh, the blanks and the doubles. And West Brom, uh, you may remember, Tom, had uh, some really nice blank fixtures that we were quite excited about, weren't Aww, we? And, and I think we, we, both, um, we both tripled up on West Brom quite early, didn't we? Um, we both tripled up and it, they inevitably did terribly, of course, because they're West Brom. And uh, yeah, and one player in particular, I think you ended up having him for about seven or eight game weeks. And that was Salomon Rondon. And I don't think he managed to score in that entire time. But their fixtures were so great. They were just like, one more week, one more week, I'll keep him. Or one more blank week. And uh, yeah, we both, we both got heavily punished. And I think at the end of the day, you have to, you have, to have a little bit of flexibility. You know, if, if someone's performing badly... Don't be too wedded to your plan, your grand scheme of having 11 men in that blank game week and, and get rid of the likes of Rondon and, and bring in someone who was, who's performing well, like Arnautovic or someone like that. Yeah, and I think it also applies to, to captaincy plans as well and not just transfer plans. So I think one of the things that I see or one of the things that I've been kind of surprised by recently is I've seen a lot of players talk about how they plan their captains for the next four game weeks, four to five, six game weeks. And while I agree that you should have at least two good, strong captaincy options in your squad for kind of the, the upcoming fixtures, 
I do not plan my game. I, I do not plan game week by game week who my captain is going to be. It's more about having the spread of potential options because I think if you actually kind of plan to set in stone around captains, you miss a lot around form. So if you're kind of planning, okay, Sterling at home to West Ham, but he hasn't scored for five game weeks, but Salah's going against Southampton away and he's on fire. Go with Salah. Don't go with Sterling just because he's at home and you plan to captain him in that week and you got the home and away. So I think it's, yes, applies to transfers, applies to double game weeks, blank game weeks, and, and, and kind of how you set up, but also in the captaincies as well. Yeah, certainly. And you just mentioned form there, Neil, and it's a really good way of leading into my, uh, my example here, which is double game week planning last season. Uh, so uh, Adam Levy, who uh, finally won FPL, ignored them entirely, almost, and went for the form players. Um, you know, Players like Luca Dean, uh, who scored more than 40 points in the last six game weeks last season, completely ignored by the FPL community en masse, because we've all jumped on teams like Brighton. What? Yeah, um, obviously hindsight's a factor here, uh, but a lot of the time you need to be flexible because of the fact that form is something that you really need to bear in mind. Obviously, you, you, you know, you're looking at double game weeks and the, the mantra is always, oh, you've got to have fun, you've got two bites to the cherry. But in hindsight, looking at those double game weeks again, would we do the same thing again? Probably not, because maybe we'd be thinking, well, actually, the teams who are in form are the ones we need to be getting on, even though they don't have a double game week. I mean, your, your man, Ricardo Pereira, for example, something started popping up since we'd all got rid of him because he didn't have a double game week. I put an article about this uh, earlier on, uh, adaptive preference and sunk cost. And uh, sunk cost is what's really important here. These are inc- irrecoverable costs. So you think, oh, yeah, I've invested so much time into my plan that I've got to follow it through now. And a lot of the time, that actually isn't a good idea uh, because uh, you feel like you've invested a lot of time in formulating a strategy, but sometimes that strategy actually doesn't fit what the conditions are. And you've got to be mindful of that and be able to kind of think, okay, um, I've got to be better here. Obviously, we're going to fall into these pitfalls. We're not perfect. Um, But hopefully, raising awareness of that sort of pitfall um, can definitely be worthwhile in how you plan things. Um, A good example of this as well is last time we were on this with Stag, we we said, oh, you know, don't chase rises. Um, But perhaps, Neil, you might have a different uh, kind of approach to that now uh, based on kind of adapting your strategies to this. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I think the way that I think about chasing rises is, is don't be distracted by past rises to some extent. I think Doherty was a great example last season where if you looked at him, people were still kind of piling in, in in game week 20 and onwards. And actually, if you look back, over 50, if, I think it was 55% of his returns had actually all come in the first eight game weeks. And all the price rises had kind of come at that point and kind of, to some extent, you're not just chasing rises at that point with someone like Doherty, but you're actually chasing points as well. So I think at some point you have to accept the ship might have sailed and look for the next player who's going to hit form and then catch their rises. Yeah, I mean, I'd be inclined to agree with you. But then also, you know, we saw the likes of Doherty at the end of the close season. He, he was doing well yet again alongside the likes of Luca Dean. Um, so, yeah, going back to that, other point in terms of being wedded to a strategy I I ended up making so many changes to my defense at the end of the season ended up going with these players like Kolasinac or the Brighton defenders who we all got punished by we were all victims of the herd in that particular instance Um, when there were other options out there and you, you don't have to always follow the plan you know you can look at the likes of Everton who did really well at the end of the season perhaps just Ignore the fact that they don't have double game weeks and, and just f- follow the form to a certain extent rather than always focusing on the fixtures and, and what your grand plan is. 
Exactly. Grand plans are far more viable in a more static game like Sky, for example. I might recently do a podcast on that, which you may want to listen to. Uh, find that on Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever you'd like to listen to. But actually in FPL, um, which is a dynamic and changeable beast, um, it's always better uh, to be able to look at the sifting sands and try to try to just meld your strategy to what's happening rather than being steadfast to sticking to my plan because a lot of the time that actually doesn't work in fpl um, again obviously we're going to make these mistakes ourselves uh, but hopefully you won't after listening to this uh, the final rule uh, so just to run over them uh, throughout this pod uh, we've said the game has evolved change with it do what's right for you not what everyone else is doing the obvious moves are obvious for a reason Doing nothing is a very valuable option and continuously adapt your strategy. The final one is simply have fun. FPL is a slog. It really is. And you'll see a lot of people who start off commenting, who start off with new accounts on Twitter, start off on Reddit and disappearing over the course of the season. And it can be a very fatiguing game. There's a lot of ups and downs. Unless you're having an absolutely incredible season, a lot of the time there will be moments when you're not very happy. Um, and you know there are a spate of podcasts every year around February and March on mental health, for example. Which also isn't something we should laugh at, but I think it might be symptomatic of this fact. Uh, we're content providers. We do as much as we can uh, to try, try to give more information, create new and interesting, unique content. But we still fundamentally enjoy it as much as we can. And week to week, we do have setbacks, but I think that kind of passion for the game is what's there. It is an emotional roller coaster. You'll be happy, sad, deflated, elated, and fatigued. Uh, but Walk away if it's hurting you and try to have fun with FPL because that, at the end of the day, is the point of it. No, and I think like one of the ways that I've dealt with it as well is like, don't worry about what could have happened. Only only worry about what happened. I think there was a point last season where I, I actually missed a deadline um, because I was traveling for work. I was in a different time zone and I, I had my transfers ready to go. Um, and I just didn't click confirm because of the travel. It cost me 24 points. But do you know what? Who knows what would have happened? Yes. Looks like those 24 points would have got me in the top 10K. But really, would they have? Because I didn't make those transfers that week. So then I made different ones the following week and different ones the following week and different ones the following week. Who knows what I would have ultimately been worse off or better off for actually making those transfers. And you can't really say it's not black or white whether those 24 points would have got me into the top 10K. So I really think like just let go about what could have happened, that player that you were going to buy. The only thing you can deal with is actually what happened and you just have to be kind of happy with your decision. Don't beat yourself up about it. Allow yourself to have full health and just have fun. Exactly. A lot of these things can just mushroom, can't they, into something else entirely. Like, I, I think just don't blame yourself for things you could never have known. Like, a lot of people are just like, oh, you know, I should have transferred this guy and should have transferred that guy. And like, if you're never seriously considering doing it, just don't worry about it. Because if you go back in time to that moment, you'd never do it anyway without the knowledge that, you know, last week, uh, Jota scored a brace out of nowhere. Yeah, definitely. I think um, perhaps this is the most important rule of all, to have fun. Um, you know, at the start of the season, there's always hype at this sort of time of year, isn't there? We're all starting on a level peg. Um, we're all in the same situations. Everyone's on zero. Everyone's winning at the moment. But however, a few weeks in, uh, and if you're doing badly, I think it definitely can impact your mental health. And often often we find, um, sort of in, in life, I guess, that it's a, sort of during the working week, it can be really tough and challenging for us. And the weekend's what we live for. Um, you know following the football and then if your team loses your FPL team does terrible it can actually have a surprising impact on you and uh, 
and your health and perhaps even you know sometimes your, your friends and family might not understand what this actually means to you I know obviously not everyone's like that um, you, and you do have to just try and remember that this is meant to be a game it's meant to be fun in order to have the highs you have to have the lows and it's a long season so a poor start's not the end of the world I actually had an interesting look at my season last season um, and there was one game week for instance I had a 5.2 million game week rank but I also had game week ranks in the top 100k and surprisingly actually even though i finished in the top 100k my average game week rank was seems pretty low of 1.7 million so you, you, you don't need to read if you have if you finish this sort of 1.5 1.7 million don't see it as a bad game week just see it as an average game week you know it's a long season you're here to have fun you're here to enjoy yourself you're playing it because it's a game and it's not meant to be a chore so just don't don't worry too much if you do badly Exactly. It can often feel like you're trying to climb the ladder to enter the castle. But a lot of the time you should remember the fact that the fact that you are enjoying it means you're already in the castle. You're, you've already beaten the boss and you're already there um, having a good time. And that's what it's all about, at least for us. So if you have those goals, um, as Neil said, of, of trying to you know, beat your own personal best, get the top 100, um, of course you can derive fun from that itself. But if you are getting to the point where it is becoming a chore, as Nick said, then maybe FPL is not quite the game for you. Uh, right i think that, that is the most important point um but yeah th- hopefully those six rules are going to be very useful i'm sure neil would do a thread on them at some point uh, trying to explain them um but equally um I, I think that you know bearing them all in mind and trying to make of them what you will um is kind of the purpose of this pod and that's why we enjoy doing the unwritten rules every year just because i mean we, we can give kind of um, teachy points to you but actually giving kind of more thematic points that you can then use uh, for your own purposes is probably a lot better thanks for listening to our rules guys and, and thanks uh, for coming on the pod neil it's a, it a pleasure to have you on the pod this week thank you for having me yep definitely and um yeah just to say who we are we are who got the assist you can find us on twitter at wgta underscore fpl or myself at wgta underscore nick and you can find neil on twitter as well at neil s w murray underscore fpl um, we've got a few upcoming publications this week. Uh, Site Corner obviously went out to today, Monday, we're recording this on adaptive preference and uh, sunk cost fallacy. Uh, we've got some prospects in the prospects coming up. And I think this week will be the week that we uh, fire the, the first shot of our meaty analysis with the first installment of Talisman Theory. And yeah, if you want to join our league, um, our leagues are now open. The main league code is EIKX03. Or if you want to join our zombie league, uh, which is obviously when you've got a dead team and you're not allowed to make any changes at all throughout the season. So no changes to your captains, no substitutes, no chips. The league code is EJOS45. So get your unspecified family members involved as well. Yeah, certainly. And no chips before game week one. That's the sort of cheeky thing that I'd ask, so it takes one to know one, so don't do it. A uh, final bit of housekeeping is that on the 13th of July, this Saturday, uh, in London, in Marlebone, uh, Sports Bar and Grill, we're having our uh, summer FPL meetup. I'm very glad the game's open, and the idea is that we all meet up, exchange drafts, exchange ideas, and get excited ahead of the new season with a couple of drinks. Um, it should be very, very good fun. We're there from 3pm onwards. Uh, if you can come down, there's no tickets or anything, and it's kind of devolved into a bit of a pub takeover because Nick tried to book some more spaces and found that they were trying to charge him £10 a head. Uh, So um, at the moment we've got a booking for 20, but it looks like we've got 50 plus people coming. So please come down and uh, help us take over the Motherbone Sports Bar and Grill, basically. Um, But yeah, that's it. And we'll be back uh, 
probably next week with the start of our team previews, the A2L. Thanks very much for coming on, Neil. Um, hopefully have you on again. Uh, but for now, we hope this is you and we'll speak to you very soon. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Right, uh, thanks, Neil. That was very good. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.